With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. This episode, I visit with Joey Sieber, one of the founders of Level Legal, an alternative legal service provider. We talk about that concept, compliance, in part one of a special two-part episode. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Joey Sieber. Uh, Joey has one of the most interesting legal related businesses I've seen in some time. Uh, we're going to have a special bonus segment on the Bears winning the NCAA championship that I can't wait to get into. So we're going to have a lot of fun today and we're going to learn a lot. So Joey, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background, Joey? Yep. Um, I went to Baylor Law School. Uh, graduated in 1990, practiced law for about four years, civil litigation work. Uh, started practice in Waco and then moved to Tyler pretty shortly after I started practicing. And then several entrepreneurial ventures uh, and a little public service. I was I served on the city council and then as mayor uh, for the city of Tyler from 2002 to 2008. Um, and then... 12 years ago, started Level 2 Legal, now Level Legal, uh, with a couple of partners, and I've been doing that ever since. So that's the short version. So you are the first elected politician I have had the privilege to interview. We're going to have to explore that a little bit. <laughs> I hope it's not the last. Don't ask me about current politics. I've been out of it for a long time. <laughs> well, really, what led you to want to become involved in public service? You mentioned the uh, city council and then moving up to the mayor. What was that a just a interest you've always had, or what led to that part of your career? Yeah, in politics or, or public service, I was politically aware very early in my life for some reason. I remember my dad, this, this really dates me, but I remember my dad putting a Nixon sign in our front yard in 1972. Um, and um, I just always paid attention to, to politics and what was going on, both on the local level and, you know, national level and all that. Um, and I've always been interested in serving, you know, doing what I can to serve. Uh, I, I did that in college and, um, you know, moved to Tyler and got involved in the community. And there was an opportunity uh, for a city council seat. And I there's somebody uh, came and said, look, there's this open seat. I think you would be great to serve in in this role. Um, I, <laughs> I bit off a little more than I could chew there because there was a there was an op- opponent. There was somebody else running who really wanted the seat. So um, anyway, I ran. I won. Served for six years uh, there, and then we had term limits in Tyler. And then um, after my terms were up on the council, I ran for mayor and was elected to three terms there. I. I enjoy working with people. 
uh, to make things better and to um, and to serve. And it was it was a wonderful experience for me. It was it was really fantastic. Uh, I grew up with kind of the same uh, types of parents. My parents, uh, I can remember, we actually had precinct collections in our garage. Uh, when yeah, I was a young kid. Uh, but the um, and one of my favorite phrases is politics is the art of the possible. So I really wanted to use that to maybe ask you some of the the leadership lessons you learned as mayor and how you, you had to work with obviously a, a wide and diverse group of constituents and how were you, how were you able to bring that collaboration together in that leadership position? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. And I have to tell you that my my service as mayor those six years were fantastic years. First of all, I've got to be uh, honest and say we had a great economy. So, you know, we didn't have a recession during the time that I was mayor. You know, sales tax receipts weren't down or any of those kinds of things. I had the good fortune to have some good city managers that I worked with. I had the good fortune to work with great council members. Um, and we, we function as a team. And, you know, in, in Texas, we don't, we don't have partisan municipal elections. You, you run and you're, and there may be a runoff and you win. Or there aren't primary elections. Having said that, you know, I served with four Republicans and two Democrats with a council of six. And never one time did any partisan political issue come up or the kinds of things that that seem to pollute politics today. And at the municipal level, you know, it's about your trash getting picked up and you having a good police force and the water runs and the toilet flushes and taking care of those kinds of local issues. What did I learn? Uh, I learned the power of teamwork, the power of our working together. I tried to to kind of operate by consensus. Very rarely did we have contentious issues where the council was in disagreement or where the council disagreed with the, with the management, city management. Um, and it was a delightful time. Um, you learn, you learn how to work with various constituencies, right? It's not, it sounds no pun intended coming from Tyler, like a bed of roses. Um, but it was, uh, it was a good time, but it's still challenging because everybody's got their own interests. You may find it shocking, but own, there may not uh, be people that they'd like know to see done. They have their own constituencies who are demanding. So could you and explain you why Tyler is the rose capital? Work with each of, of those United and, um, and then come up with the best result. <laughs> I'm happy to. Yeah. In the 1930s, um, 20s or 30s, should know my history better. There, uh, first of all, our, our part of the state and the country is um, kind of uh, red clay, pine trees. Um, the northeast part of the state is not like any other part of the state of Texas. It's quite green and you know rolling hills, and so um, that soil <clears throat> is particularly good for you know certain crops. Uh, and it's fantastic for peaches. And uh, before oil, you know, oil was discovered here in the, in the East Texas oil field, this was, this was um, just an agrarian uh, part of the state, a very poor part of the state. Uh, so there are lots of peaches and peach farms here. But the peach blight 
came sometime in the again I won't get the I won't get it exactly right back in the 20s or 30s and they had to convert to another crop and so uh, many of the farmers converted to roses and we're talking about rose bushes not long stem roses but uh, Tyler then became known as the rose capital so we have a rose festival. So let's turn to uh, your current for company, those who remember uh, and League. followed. And I wanted Earl to ask Campbell. you first uh, you what know, led you to found the Tyler company, Rose and really, uh, up in Tyler and I would say you have Tyler a very High different School. approach so, uh, than many that's legal the service reference. firms I uh, come across. So, if you could talk to us a little bit about what makes your approach so different. Uh, Level League was founded in the in the depths of the Great Recession. Our first day was the day after uh, Obama's inauguration in 2009. You'll remember that great financial collapse happened at the end of 2008. Um, there was the change in administration. The stock market low was in March of 2009. So right in between those, um, during those dark days, uh, we started Level 2 Legal at at the time, <clears throat> two of my business partners were working with uh, one client in particular and doing document review for that client within a law firm. We had the idea to spin that function out of the law firm, thinking that there would be great opportunity in kind of an alternative legal provider market. Now, we didn't use that term at the time. <laughs> that that ALSP, alternative legal service provider term, came along later. But we believed at that time that while document review, particularly for litigation, for, for, for discovery and in, in litigation, was the first of what would be some great opportunities uh, to deliver legal services in a different way. So that's why we created the company to do that. And we started with one project and one client, <laughs> hoping to get a second project and perhaps more clients. And it very quickly grew. And within a year, we were opening an office in, in the Dallas area so that we could recruit you know, attorneys to work for us. Speak for a long time about that. What makes us different, I think, is our approach. We, you know, the founders of the firm, myself included, and those who um, began working in the firm early, have all practiced law, and we practice law in the litigation context. I personally tried cases at every level of the courts from, you know, JP to federal court, and we understand the needs of lawyers as they are practicing. But we're able, from our very earliest days, to anticipate the needs that lawyers have and the entire process of litigation and where we fit in that process and why what we do is important. So that we're not, you know, we were not simply a you know, data firm, a copy shop, a processing firm that decided we were going to add uh, some legal services. We started with the, with the legal services, understanding the entire context, and then working backwards. So I think the sense of uh, service and uh, customized or, or bespoke service, if you will, um, has uh, been in our DNA since the very beginning. Um, I think that's probably what sets us apart from, I mean, look, there are many great competitors, many great providers. Uh, what 
I'll put it this way, what customers tell us, clients tell us when they come to us is that you're the reason, you know, the quotes are, you're the reason I can sleep at night. You know, I know that, I know that it's handled. I know you're handling it. I don't have to worry about it. Um, and uh, I think that's what sets us apart. So why is building long-term relationships so critical to the company's success? We, we do a much better job once we, when we get to work long-term with clients. Look, we know your, we know your acronyms. We know your custodians. We know your policies. We know your corporate structure. As we build a relationship and work together, uh, we we understand that much better, and we're able to do a much better job. We, you know, one of our one, one of our employees put it very well. One of our leaders put it very well. You know, we're not we're not really good one night stand people. We're in it for the long run, um, and we do a much better job when we can uh, get to know you and get to know what's important to you, so that we can begin to anticipate what you need and uh, and deliver deliver that value. You've you've uh, expanded far beyond uh, document review, and I, I would say even litigation support. So I was wondering if you could describe generally some of the corporate or not perhaps non litigation projects that you found to be a big success for you and your clients. Well, this being the compliance podcast uh, or topic, I think that's probably a good place to start. You know, we we work with some some you know very large corporate clients in the compliance area, particularly. Those who are under consent decrees, uh, perhaps in the antitrust area, and have worldwide obligations um, in in that respect. And so there is a there for some clients there is a proactive um, program to to be sure that they are in compliance with the various um, you know consent decrees or other restrictions that they may have because of their market power. So uh, that's something we do. Very similar to um, a litigation context, but it's proactive to make sure that uh, you're in compliance with the requirements that you have. Also in the investigation area, government investigation or internal investigation, perhaps there's some suspected fraud or other, um, you know, other situations internally. Um, we're able to, to, to jump in. Uh, and help with that. And we have a team that's quite experienced at that. And then the last thing I'll say, which is something that we're um, just now beginning to work with clients on, and that is in the, in the privacy area where there are many states with many different regulations. And of course, the GDPR from Europe and the CCPA in California and, you know, a myriad of other acronyms. Um, Compliance has become uh, really challenging for organizations of all sizes, not just not just the largest companies. And so we're we're beginning to um, to work with clients in that area to help them. Let me pick up on that last point because one of the biggest frustrations I hear from uh, certainly corporate types, but also just uh, others business executives is the lack of a national data privacy law, one standard across yeah. the country. And uh, I've unfortunately said that I just can't see the last Congress or this Congress doing anything um, because of the 
kind of the situation we're in now. But that really leaves businesses with literally up to 50 different obligations. And then if you overlay GDPR with another set of obligations, how do you help? I guess first, do you have a perhaps more optimistic view that we could get a real national law pass and, and whatever that might be? How do you help clients deal with that issue today? Well, today it's piece by piece, right? There are some very good tools uh, that we use. Um, um, OneTrust in particular um, is a company that has developed um, an amazing set of tools. And we're wrapping our services around those tools to help clients stay in compliance with the myriad of, um, of requirements that they have. On a national data, federal data privacy law, it's really quite interesting. In fact, I'm putting the finishing touches on an article that will be published uh, in the next month or so uh, about this topic. Uh, first of all, I, uh, the, the, the conclusion is I think it's, I agree with you, I think it's unlikely that there will be um, a comprehensive uh, federal data privacy law passed soon. I think that's also unfortunate because, you know, we have we have some um, one of the things we do uh, is uh, have a series of dinners of general counsel around the country. We had unfortunately suspended that about a year ago. We'll pick them back up at the end of this year. But one of the most interesting was about a year and a half ago in um, in San Francisco. We had a dozen uh, general counsel around the table. You know, it's a great restaurant. Um and just we, the, the, the topic is whatever they want to talk about professionally. And um, the topic of privacy and privacy regulation came up. Interestingly and uncharacteristically, we would hear there was general agreement uh, that they would welcome additional regulation. They would welcome a unified privacy law. You think, well, that doesn't make sense. You want, you know, these are corporations, general counsel who are looking for more regulation. Their challenge, as you identified, is every state has something different. And if there were a federal law that we could count on um, that even preempted those state laws, then that would be much easier. Now, what are the chances of that happening? You know, I think if we got a federal law, it would probably be. Um, a baseline law with certain, you know, particular restrictions, particularly around uh, consumer privacy um, and what can be done with consumer data. And then states could probably add on to that. Um, The chances of that happening, you know, I don't think, I don't think they're great. I do see there's probably, there probably would be a way to thread the needle. I think you would have, traditionally opposing you could have traditionally opposing um political interests um unified um you know you could imagine that those on what we just call on the left who are particularly interested in privacy and those who might more traditionally represent corporate interests who would be interested in you know, some efficiency and predictability uh, around the topic. Um, You can imagine a world in which they might agree on a baseline bill that might unify some of it. 
I don't see that. That's just me talking. I don't, I don't see that happening. I'm, I mean, literally see it happening in the, uh, in Washington, but one could imagine that, that, that it could, but we'll see. Um, there, there, there's been some, there's been a bill filed. Um, uh, I don't know the particulars of it, but with so many other things on the plate right now in Washington, it's hard to see this, uh, rising to the top with the, kind of political will that it would take to happen. Joey, we're going to end uh, this podcast at this point and have part two where we will continue the conversation. Yeah, I would love to. Thank you for the opportunity. Part two will post on Wednesday, May 13. Please check it out. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report, a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We have a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network called Mo Forecast, which is a podcast of the law firm of Morrison & Forrester, hosted by James Kukios. Check that out on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, in the month of April on The Compliance Life, I'm featuring Jonathan Kellerman, partner at Stone Turn, with a fascinating career in healthcare compliance, culminating in the CCO chair at Allergan before he moved over to Stone Turn. So check out The Compliance Life on Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.